How did the place where you are right now get built? Who built your home? When was it built, and why was it built in the size and the shape that it is? Every place in Bloomington was developed. Even that park you may be standing in the middle of, if that's where you happen to be listening to this. People can't just build willy-nilly anymore. They have to follow certain rules the community has set up. That's our subject today. Welcome to the 812. Hello, Bloomington. I'm your host, Steve Volan. Our guest today is Scott Robinson. Today, he begins a new job as the Community Development Director for the town of Timnith, Colorado. But he's our guest because he was the Director of Planning and Transportation for the city of Bloomington through most of the last term of the Hamilton administration, which ended January 1. Before that, he worked in the Planning and Transportation Department as a Planner or Deputy Director for more than 20 years. We talk with him about why there is a land use planning office, about how planning works. We asked him to reflect on the work he did here and what's on the horizon for the city's built environment. That's coming up. First, let's take a look at the lineup, except there is no lineup. Like yesterday, there are no meetings scheduled in City Hall for today. A big meeting tomorrow, though, is the Democratic Party Caucus to fill the vacancy on City Council for District 5. It'll be held in Council Chambers of City Hall, 401 North Morton Street, at 1 p.m. We want your feedback. Our new email address is letters at the812show.org. Drop us a line, won't you? The interview is next. Stay tuned. This is the 812. I'm Steve Volan. Our guest today is Scott Robinson. He's the former director of planning for the city of Bloomington. He now is the community development director for the town of Tin Myth, Colorado, just outside Fort Collins. Scott Robinson, welcome to the 812. Steve, thanks for having me today. It's a pleasure to be talking to you and the folks of Bloomington. I look forward to our conversation. Same here. So, uh, how long did you serve the city? I, I didn't even, I, I've worked with you for so long, I can't even remember. Your time in memorial, Scott Robinson. <laughs> yeah, so I started in 2001 in the planning department and worked my way up through the uh, planning and transportation director. Uh, so, what year, did you, long... what year did you become planning and transportation director? Uh, October of 20. 21, I believe. You're, you're challenging my memory. So, yeah. <laughs> assistant director and, and all that. Um, right, right. Yeah. So, uh, you've had a long time in uh, working in planning. Um, maybe just for the sake of, uh, of thoroughness, let's just start by talking about what exactly is planning to the average person who doesn't think that much about the city uh, that, they, that they live in or how their government works. What is planning? Let me try to summarize in a couple simple ways. Um, one thing that planning does is they plan for the growth of a community, what that community will look like 
and that can include everything from parks, trails, roads, housing uses, uh, those sorts of things. Um, they also, planning departments also write rules. Um, they propose them to govern growth, um, the type of uses, the type of buildings, the intensity of those uses on private property. And those are approved through city council ultimately at the end. And again, that's the rule book. And then planning departments administer those rules on um, if somebody wants to build a house or open a business or what have you, those rules regulate um, those sorts of, of uh, conditions that are put on a property. And uh, our rule book got updated twice, actually, while you worked for planning. Uh, it used to be called, um, uh, well, no, we had a growth policies plan that was first passed in 1991, and then it became uh, a comprehensive plan in 2006, I think. And then so, we updated the comprehensive plan. Correct. So that's a great segue about when I talked about what planning departments do. So the, the first part about planning the community and where we're growing, how we're going to grow, what it's going to look like with streets, roads, and parks, that is done through a comprehensive plan. And that's a you know community outreach process where staff works with the community, do lots of feedback, um, lots of proposals. So um, while I was at the city, uh, when I first arrived, they just adopted the growth policies plan version two, there was a prior one that was adopted. And so that guiding doc document is used to implement those land use decisions. And we write the rule book for the zoning code. And so in 2002, we did that and updated the zoning code, I believe in 2007. So that takes a while to right, write right, the wait, rules. Yeah let, me, yeah, let me get that straight. So the growth policies plan, the first the first plan that the city ever had to say, here's how the city should build was called the growth policies plan. It was passed in 91. And then there was an update in 2002. Correct. And based on that plan, the city redesigned the actual laws about what can be built. And uh, we called it the unified development ordinance. And I think the city council passed it in 2006. And that took effect in 2007. Correct. Right. Yeah. Okay. And, and, and then- the the, and uh, sorry to interrupt, but the growth policies plan also identified things like trails and other things uh, that kind of live outside the zoning <clears throat> ordinance to help prioritize uh, capital projects. Either Parks Department or Public Works or, or Engineering would implement those projects um, that kind of coincide with the development that's happening in the community. And then in, now I've already lost track of it and I was there, uh, 2018, I think we had, uh, we up, it took a long time to update the growth policies plan again, but we renamed it a comprehensive plan, which is a more consistent term that other cities use. Right. And that was in 2018. That's correct. Um, and it, it was probably more comprehensive than the growth policies plan. The growth policies plan really focused a lot on planning focused issues. Uh, the comprehensive plan really starts touching on some other topics that kind of go beyond uh, planning, but that document was updated and approved in, um, as I said, 2018. And then we updated, did an overhaul. We did a repeal and replace of the zoning ordinance of the old 
2007 zoning ordinance. Which is another word for the UDO, the Unifor- yeah. Unified Development Ordinance, right? Correct. And that was in 2019. And it took effect in 2020. And then we've had yearly updates to kind of update the code to make sure it's doing what it should be doing. Um, it's a 400 plus page document. So there's oftentimes uh, technical issues, fixes, it references the wrong page or a wrong uh, line. So we just want to make sure the document's correct. So we would bring those through every year. And I believe there's another one uh, scheduled to go through this year as well. Jeepers. Um, I've lost track. Yes. Um, just to reintroduce you, my guest is Scott Robinson. He's the former director of the Planning and Transportation Department of the City of Bloomington. Uh, so the UDO um, it, it, it did more than the um, the former growth policy. Sorry, the um, the comprehensive plan, like you said, was literally more comprehensive than the growth policies plan. It went beyond things that the planning and transportation department normally does. Is that what you mean? Like what? Uh, what's an example of another department that was affected by? The, well, the comprehensive plan. I think the comprehensive plan really started touching on more social equity issues than the, the growth policy plan uh, does. And so it really starts speaking to uh, equity, um, diversity. Um, and there's some of that that we can uh, work into the zoning code or into or the UDO or projects, capital projects, the city's implementing. So for example, if you look at social equity, where are we putting our bicycle, pedestrian, sidewalk facilities around the community? Um, And you can look at the underserved areas or areas that might have um, a higher need based on uh, destinations that they, they would most likely go to using bikes or walking or transit, where maybe in the past, um, the decision process to invest in that type of infrastructure might not have taken that into consideration. So that's how the comprehensive plan took a much broader look at the community issues and how to address those. So let's talk about the uh, what what comes or how do I put this? Let's talk about the process of planning. Uh, which the comprehensive plan and the UDO sort of regulate. Uh, what do you? Th- what would you say are common misconceptions that the general public have about the planning process? Well, I think it's confusing, and I completely understand it's confusing. Um, one of the things that we did with our new code is we made it. Uh, pretty much straightforward that if you follow the code, you get it approved. Um, And I think from the community, there's some confusion because they'll attend a meeting, a public meeting about a project that's being proposed and the development literally meets the code. So there's, there's nothing to remonstrate against. And so I think that creates confusion where you show up to the meeting and you're like, well, Hey, I don't like this project because it's, too big or, you know, whatever the issue is. But the way we designed the new zoning ordinance, we wanted to make sure that there was certainty in the process. And that's something that I think both development community and community members really 
wanted to make sure that they had a good idea of certainty in the process that um, everything isn't negotiated at a public meeting, plan commission or city council. Um, we got some pushback from that. I mean, even from you and council members about how they liked um, plan unit developments or larger developments would go to before city council. So there's a little bit more of negotiation in the process, I would say. Um, but that negotiation can be messy and it creates uncertainty and the public doesn't know how to participate or, uh, I mean, they know how to participate, but they don't understand that, Hey, if they show up and say X, Y, and Z, how that could be, uh, implemented. And so I think that creates a a challenge. Um, so that's a trade-off. Um, and that's kind of where we are as we, the old code really allowed a lot more of that negotiation and the new code is much straightforward and creates that certainty. So I do, do believe um, that's one of the trade-offs we got. Well, I do code. believe I've, I do believe I've been called out. So I wanted to, uh, <laughs> I, I wanted, I, I'm reminded of two incidents. One of them was um, the Park South development on the Southeast corner of Hillside and Henderson back in 2016. I still remember that as the, we're negotiating uh uh, railings and planters at one o'clock in the morning uh, because the the neighborhood uh, was up in arms and suspicious about uh, this uh, local developer, um, and it was no way to do business to be uh, to uh, to have several hour long meetings where we're negotiating minutiae in public that shouldn't have been, and that was my inspiration for uh, uh, creating the land use committee of the council but on the other hand there was um uh the project i think it's called verve now but it was the big student housing project on north walnut where because it was a pud we were able to actually negotiate uh, a permanent um payment uh to instead of them setting up a shuttle bus to campus they actually paid for a bloomington transit route and uh so i mean I and the idea that we could get an entire bus route out of a big apartment building was something that I thought was a very exciting possibility. But I take your point about how, um, you know, like we should put our rules into the rules and then uh, let let development be predictable. Um, but that was one reason why I thought that uh, a PUD might still have some merit uh, if it meant getting transit. So I will I will cop to this. Well, I, but I, but I think that's a good conversation point. It, it's a great trade-off, um, and the beauty of the code is we can always change it. And so you can set those thresholds on like how big a project is, where you move into that more negotiated development approval process rather than the more straight but forward um, process. So right now, um, there's staff level approvals, and then there's approvals that go to plan commission. And then there's approvals that go to both plan commission and city council, and that's plan unit developments. Um, and we also have it structured so that if you meet certain things, sustainability or for affordability, which are two things that really were strengthened in the uh, comprehensive plan. I believe the growth policies plan only mentioned, mentioned affordable housing once with no policy regarding that. And now it's, it's full front face forward very uh, detailed, a lot of stuff in the code about affordable housing and sustainable development. And so to incentivize those, again, um, from the public, 
you, if you make it more burdensome, then it's more challenging to get those incentives in. So we, we plug those in. So if you get those incentives, we streamlined the development approval process for certainty. So that's the trade-off. But I hear you very clearly is- on the three <laughs> planned unit development. There's, there's <laughs> benefits to negotiating. It was that exception. Yeah. Uh, our our guest is Scott Robinson. He's the former director of the Planning and Transportation Department at the City of Bloomington. We'll be back with more after a break. This is the 812. back with more of our interview with Scott Robinson. He's the former director of the uh, City of Bloomington Planning and Transportation Department and a longtime veteran of the department. He is now the community development director for the town of Timnath, Colorado, just outside Fort Collins. We were talking earlier about um, the, the update of the plan, the city's comprehensive plan that you presided over uh, in the late uh, teens. Uh, and that you were implementing uh, in your last few years as director of the Planning and Transportation Department. Um, where, maybe I should ask this, Wither Bloomington, where where is it going? Where do you think it should go? Uh, what, what should citizens be thinking about or looking for um, as the city continues to grow and build? Well, first of all, I'd say the comprehensive plan did a really great job on picking that future and comprehensive plans are intended to be updated every 10 years. So we're kind of on that cusp to update it and refresh it and make sure we're still consistent with that vision. Um, but I think as community members love Bloomington, it's a great place. It's got a lot of great things going for it. And I understand that there's challenges when they see so much change happening. Um, there is a lot of change happening in the community And it's trying to balance that vision and growth of how we're going to grow to be a diverse, economically, sustainably vibrant community. Um, And so when development comes in and there's changes, whether it's a sidewalk, a bike lane, a new student housing, um, or a new subdivision, um, community members see that and that change can be very challenging to process and don't understand why that's happening. Um, You know, I liked it the way it was. The view I had was great. That's going to be messed up. That's not unique to Bloomington. That's anywhere in this country. Um, In fact, the town that I'm working for, um, they fought a top golf coming into one of their interstate changes and, and, you know, again, change, they won the battle in kind of a strange way, but um, my story is that that's a challenge that I think is not unique to Bloomington. A lot of communities really, uh, residents care about their community. And when they see change, it's 
challenging to understand that. And I think, in my opinion, Bloomington's got a great foundation of uh, transportation planning, a great foundation on uh, the comprehensive plan, and really good foundation on, you know, public processes and institutional knowledges that we're heading in the right direction. The challenge comes back to um, community members recognizing that change is going to happen and how do we manage that change so it makes sure that it meets some of the goals that we're trying to achieve. Is it through sustainability or affordability, diversity, inclusion? Um, All those things are uh, identified as important things in the community and um, it's very easy to point out a project and, and say, oh, I don't like that because it's too big and it's student oriented. You know, the number one thing that drives development in Bloomington is students. Our community is half students. And Steve, I know you're a big advocate of the student voice and a lot of community members don't, they honestly don't care and they don't acknowledge that 50% of our population is students and they don't understand or care how economically uh, vibrant that bring that makes our community. We're almost uh, recession-proof because of students. Um, I know we, there's a lot of talk about the enrollment cliff, but I use it a pretty good place, I believe. Um, so aside from, from the students, um, they do have a big impact. They're a big part of our community. They bring a lot of the diversity, a lot of the great things that community members um, have, but a lot of the people we hear from aren't students. And so that's a challenge on trying to make sure um, we try to balance those two expectations on that um, from the community. I, th- this is all true that I was a advocate for students since they were the vast majority of the district that I represented. Um, but uh, I, I think the, the issue isn't the students per se, it was the community's uh, uh, inability to keep up with the demand for housing created by the slow but steady growth of the student body. I mean, the the work I found was that uh, between 1970 and 2020, IU grew from 30 to 43,000 students, but they didn't grow their own on-campus housing, which was typically uh, housing. uh, I mean, back in 1970, they had enough housing to house 40% or more of students. And now they can barely house the incoming freshman class because they didn't add any housing between 1970 and 2020 and not any net housing. And the, so when the community grows by 250 students a year on average, if you don't build enough housing for that, eventually it catches up to you. And I feel like you uh, were working in a time when there was a slow decline in the uh, amount of housing in a proportion to the population growth. I mean, because that's why, I mean, you can't just say students make rent high. It's the lack of housing for everybody uh, that makes rent high. What, do you, what would you say to all that? Well, I mean, the, the lack of housing is definitely a challenge. Um, one of the things that we really wanted to work on is the diversity of housing. And again, that's a thing that's hard for a lot of people to understand. Um, you know, you have your single family house and you have multifamily. And in, in Bloomington, I can't remember about the percentage. I want to say roughly 60 to 70% of our area is for single family housing. The grand majority of our area is dedicated to single family housing. Um, And then you have a Hmm. pretty large chunk that's for 
commercial or mixed uses, and then there's some multifamily. So again, the perception is 50% of the population uh, is students um, with the, the regulation of family and unrelated adults, which is a great thing to help protect those single family neighborhoods. Um, it did its job, but one of the trade-offs is that left put more pressure on those multifamily and commercial districts um, where that where that growth is going to come from. As you talked about, IU's kind of not willing to expand their student housing base, so They're, that put a lot of yeah. pressure on those districts, and that's where we're seeing these large student housing projects. But again, that's not unique to Bloomington, any university town. Um, you'll see these large student housing complexes. My guest is Scott Robinson, the former director of the Planning and Transportation Department at the City of Bloomington. Uh, do you think, uh, here's a third rail question, maybe it's safe for you to answer now that you're far away. Uh, do you think that the three unrelated adults uh, rule has uh, run its course, or do you think it's important to keep it? You know, uh, that's a great question. Um, I'm not 18 right now or 21. I wish I would be, but it, it is funny how, uh, again, change. And you look at our, our society and, and social norms and social media and how people interact. Um, I don't know if, if it, it might need to be looked at. It, it might be more important in some areas than others, but you look at students, how they live. You look at the impact of Airbnb and how it, you know, what it really started out to being, it kind of, you know, went awry a little bit about that. But um, younger generations are pretty mobile and move around. They also are very good at uh, working at home and working remotely, working from anywhere. So that that throws a kind of twist into the, the old uh, mindset of just the housing market and, and students. So... And then, and then you really look at the lens of diversity and inclusion um, and definition of family. Um, we could spend a lot of time talking about that. We have a pretty we, great we could, definition, and great definition that deals with that. <laughs> but I mean, it really does open your mind about like, how do you define a family? What does a family mean? Um, mm. and so it, it's, you kind of start scratching your head a little bit about like, it, what's the purpose of this? Is it still needed anymore? And, and you know, how, how could we uh, address that? In the time we have left, let's talk about your new gig because you are in the state of Colorado, which does not have a strong mayor system. You're the community development director now for the town of Timnath, Colorado, which is just outside Fort Collins. Tell us a little bit about Timnath and tell us a little bit about the town manager form of government that you're now working under. Yeah. So my first day in the job is actually tomorrow's. Um, but Congratulations. Uh, thanks. Uh, Happy Leap Day. Yeah. <laughs> It was a very competitive process. Um, excited to be here. Uh, the town has has gone through tremendous change. Uh, it started out roughly with about 250 people um, back a very long time ago, and it stayed that way. I think the town was founded in 1890. Um, the population mm -hmm. remained the same for a very long time until about 2000. I believe their projection is to have uh, 10,000 people or more. They might be one of the fastest growing communities. I mean, again, understand that that's kind of an economy of scale when you go from 250 people to yeah. 5,000. 
that can blow your number up real quickly. Um, yeah. So it's still very small, but the, the development that's happening in, is, is robust. Um, and just like Bloomington, uh, the, the original people that live here and the new people that are coming in really have a vision of what they like and uh, they're struggling with change and change is happening here at a rapid pace. There's mm-hmm. lots of construction happening. So, all right. So the town manager form of government, tell us a little bit about how that, that uh, you're right, that third class cities in Indiana don't have a, a, str- a strong mayor. They do have to hire a town manager. Uh, what's that like? So the town manager or city manager um, is a different form of government where the city council will hire a town manager to run the administrative duties of the city, much like the mayor does. So that's a strong mayor form of government like Bloomington has. So Mayor uh, Thompson is uh, the head of the city and and directs the city, whereas opposed to a manager form of government, um, that individual is hired by the city council and then they execute um, the visions of the community. The difference being is they might not be more influenced by uh, elections. So some people might say, hey, it's great in a strong mayor because there's a more direct relationship of elections. Whereas if you have a manager, think of it more as a board of directors. Um, So um, the city council is the board of directors. So you might make two of the city council members unhappy with the decision you made but the other five or seven or nine, depending how big your council is, like it or are okay with it. So you move forward. So it's a little bit more um, election proof and it creates some more institutional uh, direction. And um, But, you know, the city manager is your boss so they can hire and fire anyone as they see much like a mayor could be. It's just the the direction of the mayor is governed kind of more in a board of director form of government rather than an elected uh, platform that many mayors run on. Does that make sense? Right. Did I explain that well? It totally, totally makes sense. Uh, you, We're recording this on Leap Day, and this is going out uh, tomorrow morning, March 1st. That's your first day on the job. Uh, yeah. Is there some big issue uh, facing you right away that you're going to have to tackle? Well, there's a, there's a couple big issues. There's a development. Uh, it's an old uh, rock quarry, and I believe they have a little gravel processing plant that's being annexed into the city. Uh, they have a permit through the state of Colorado that before they can, they have to reclimate the land. They post bonds to make sure the land's okay, but some residents... One thing that's very different out in Colorado, they make it very easy for voter referendums. So they get things on the ballot to, to vote very easily. The threshold in Indiana, I believe, is pretty high. Um, mm-hmm. So you'll see a lot more referendums out here. So some residents are trying to get something on the April ballot. They run their elections in April, um, hmm. their local elections, uh, to pretty much prohibit the town from ant- letting this uh, developer annex into the city. Um, until the land's fully reclamated, even though the state's process wouldn't let them do it anyway. So it's sort of a, again, going back to that confusion and change. So people perceive like, hey, they want to be annexed and they're going to dump this land off into the city and file for bankruptcy in the land. You know, the city will be, or the town in this case, will be held liable to to reclamate this land before it could be redeveloped. In reality, the state of Colorado does that and they have the bonding uh, in place so that that wouldn't happen. 
And so that's one of the bigger challenges. The other thing is this development, if I remember correctly, generates about, oh, 30% of the tax revenue in the community. So if this would go away, that would be a huge finance. I mean, they rely very heavily on this, very heavily on commercial um, revenue. So it's a little bit different in Indiana. Um, There are local income tax, there are local taxes here on sales. So that's very common in Colorado, not Indiana. Um, So Mm -hmm. local municipalities will often add a sales tax on commercial development on top of what the state does. So you'll see a lot of, it's small, but it really adds up. And Mm. so that's, the the town relies very heavily on that local sales tax um, where maybe in Indiana that might be through um, an income, local income tax or property tax. Um, So that's a little bit of differences in the taxing um, that deals with. So that's probably one of the larger issues. Yeah. Um, So we'll see how that, that plays out in the town council and the town manager are in support of annexing this property and this project, probably not just based on the, the local sales tax, but um, really about uh, creating that commercial center and all that stuff. But this residents referendum are getting on the ballot because they don't like change or they don't want like they they see that as a problem. So it's been great talking with wow. you, Steve. You know, mind so, blowing. Uh, yeah. yeah, Scott, that's fascinating. Good luck in Timnath. Uh, I just, I want to say I worked with you my entire, uh, 20 years on council and, um, sorry to see us both go, but I wish you luck out there and I uh, hope you'll stay in touch with us. Well, great. Thanks for having me, Steve. I wish you the best too. And, uh, Hey, maybe we can redo this next year and I can tell you more about Timnith in a year from now. So I think that's a great idea. <laughs> I'll see you next leap day. All right. The 28th. Well, All right. Yeah, Scott okay. Robinson. <laughs> Scott Robinson is now the Community Development Director for the Town of Tinmouth, Colorado, and is the former Director of the Planning and Transportation Department of the City of Bloomington. now on instagram follow us there at the 812 show our email is letters at the 812 show.org if you like the 812 you should subscribe wherever you get your podcasts kelly kuglich is our social media producer i'm steve volan the host and executive producer the 812 is a production of platea media Have a good weekend, Bloomington, and thanks for listening. You can find back episodes and more information at the812show.org.